Well, last week was a lot of fun. We had the kids here doing the service, and it was based on this theme of God's promises. And so um, they talked about you had those little sheets that you could fill in and put in the God's promises box. If you're interested to go through and look at some of those, if you go down uh, just by the men's washroom, just past it on, on the left there, you'll see uh, that uh, Sarah took some time this week to put those all out on a bulletin board. So after the service, feel free to peruse there. The week before, we were in a, in a series that we were starting on a fence called Take It or Leave It. And this is uh, part two, and uh, I've entitled this message, Pre- Prepare to be Cross-Examined. Um, so when you, when you look back to our first message, we talked about from Matthew 18, and we talked a lot about how um, forgiveness is so important, but when you base it on the understanding that if you've been forgiven for a massive debt, something that you could never repay on your own, and then you turn around and you hold people to account of all the debts they owe you, there's something wrong about that. And as Christians, we're called to have a heart of forgiveness. Now, at the end of that message, um, before we went into doing a couple worship songs, I asked people to take a moment and pause. And I asked you to kind of open your heart, open your your mind to the Lord to speak to you and see if a face or a name was revealed to you. How many of you, you don't have to say anything more than just raise your hand. How many of you in that moment, someone's face or name came to your mind? And I'm raising my hand because I I participated in that with you. Well, I I thought I would share just a little bit, just a, a fact of my own story and what we're talking about here this morning. And um, so, so I, I said that, and I kind of uh, didn't assume that I was going to get a name or a face. And the Lord gave me a name and a face. And I was like, huh. Now, maybe you're like me, and you're like, hmm, thought I dealt with that one, because that was me. I was like, oh. So in my past as being a pastor, there's been a few times where leaders that I've looked up to, either within the denomination or worked alongside, um, particularly ones that were not necessarily the ones I worked directly with, but I looked up to in the denomination, there's been a couple key moments where those men have failed miserably uh, to the point of one one of them was arrested for uh, a misconduct. And... I remember tr- tracking through some of those um, some of those feelings of what happened there, and you just you're left with going, okay, I forgive them. Uh, one one person I particularly looked up to, and and it was uh, I was a youth a young youth leader, pretty green, and I I just saw this person leading. I thought, man, and then all of a sudden they fell off, and but so I had my name, I had my face, and left the service, and again. If you were like me, maybe for the first couple of days, you actually didn't even do a single thing about it. And I, I actually was surprised because by Wednesday, I, was, uh, I took some time and I was reflecting and I realized, you know what? I got a name and a face and it's now Wednesday and I haven't thought about it again since that morning in that service. And so I invited the Lord into that time. I took out a pen, I took out a, a, a little journal and I just was like, God, what is it that is still... What is it that's still there? And instead of him revealing to me something about that person, he revealed to me something about myself. And he started to show me something. And I'm going to share with you what that is, because I think it's really important to see how taking offense can affect other areas of your life. 
for the past few years, I would say, probably maybe five or more years, when I've heard or felt the Lord really strongly, it's been through personal time, or it might be through a worship song, it might be through a moment, uh, maybe a story or something that's dramatically done or something. But I realized something when I was starting to reflect on this, is that when it came from a sermon, I found myself more often to be critical of the pastor, and more often... I was realizing I wasn't getting a lot from listening to a sermon. I got a lot of technical things. I got a lot of head knowledge stuff. But I realized I was not getting a whole lot of spiritual impact from when listening to the sermon. And when I'm, I'm, I'm like, Lord, what, what's the deal here? And he showed me a connection between the fact that I still was holding a few leaders in my heart at arm's length, at arm's distance, and that affected my ability to hear other leaders preach and speak to my life. I would get lots from books, I'd get lots from conversation, I'd hear the Lord on my private time, but it was harder for me to hear actually through a message because there was an offense that I had taken that was connected with a pastor, and one of the key things a pastor does is preach, and that was broken a bit. And so I asked the Lord to start that process of, of healing and forgiving me for that. And so I haven't had an opportunity since then to listen to another person. And I'm still sorting through whether I need to talk directly to this person or not. Um, but I, I was able to speak to my accountability partner about this kind of thing. And he helped pray with me and we talked this through. And I was blown away that the connection that the Lord showed me through that one person's face. And so I want to encourage you, if you got a face and a name last week and you did nothing with it, Take some time and invite the Lord into that space and say, God, what is it that's left? Because there very well may be a connection. Maybe it's the way you treat people that look similar to that person. Or maybe it's the way you treat people with that same office. Or maybe it's the way you treat your spouse. And there's a sudden thing that you do that you don't even realize. It's because you haven't forgiven a certain part of that. So we're going to jump in here today. We're going to jump into part two, which is prepare to be cross-examined. So if we're going to go to the next slide, we're going to read a few of the verses that are going to impact um, this. But oh, we'll actually uh, we'll read these and then we'll go back one. Sorry, Sean. We'll read the verses first there, Sean. Perfect. So Proverbs 21.2. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 16.25. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Ecclesiastes 7, 20 to 22. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. And Proverbs 18, 17. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward crosses examines there's a lot at stake there's a lot here when we take offense uh, if you go back to the previous slide there um, you are more likely to die prematurely because of living by pollution you're five percent more likely to die prematurely if you live near pollution obesity 20 percent being an alcoholic 30 percent being alone 45 percent 
And one of the costs of taking offense regularly in your life is you build up walls. And over time, those walls get so high that no one can climb over. And you isolate yourself. You may have people around you, but you are emotionally isolated. And you're risking your very life by becoming lonely. 45% more likely to die at an early age because of loneliness. Those come from a book called uh, Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. Let's go to the... This is point number one. You don't have the full story. Proverbs, that first Proverbs, it said that there, there are ways that seem right to us, but in the end they lead to a destruction. When I was a kid, um, my mom got me in trouble a lot for one thing that I would do, which was I would start having all these wonderful, magical thoughts in my head, and then halfway through that process, I would start speaking. And my mom would stop me. She's like, Luke, I have no context for the words you're speaking. I don't know where this is coming from. I would just, out of the blue, just start talking about something. There would be no context. She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea at all. And so my parents didn't get the full story, or I wasn't sharing the full story. Now, here's the thing about uh, us as, as people, is when someone does something that offends us immediately, we have a couple options, and usually we default to this first one, which is we begin to tell a story. We begin to tell a story about what that person's intentions and motives and thoughts and feelings are. Now, sometimes we tell that story from two positions. And maybe you think about this in your own life. Sometimes you will tell that story as if you're the hero of the story. That's very common in, in a lot of people. But other people are broken and wounded. And instead of telling themselves that story from the prospect that they're the hero, they tell it from the side of that they're the victim. And any story they tell, no matter what it is, no matter what that person's done, they're the victim. So sometimes you could be, and maybe you have that same experience across the board. What, am I, what do I mean by this? Like, let's, let's give an example. Okay, so we've got a few people here. Just track along with me. Hopefully this doesn't get too confusing. We've got a guy named Josh and a guy named Amy. And Josh and Amy are going to plan a, a surprise party for their friend Amanda. Now, they're starting to go through the guest list. And Josh and Amy are debating about this one particular person named Stacy. Now, Amy has been able to um, hear her friend um, Amanda tell her about Stacy. And she doesn't really like Stacy all the time. Stacy talks about herself too much. And so Amy suggests maybe we don't invite Amanda. And Josh is like, well, I think we should invite her. And they start getting this little fight about whether they should invite Stacy or not. And then that conversation ends and both people leave. What's the story that Amy might tell? Amy might tell, it's like, listen, Josh just doesn't even, he's not really as much of a friend to, to Amanda as I am. Or, uh, and, and you know what? We're going to try and plan this party for Amanda, but I know what's real. I know what's true. She doesn't really like this girl. And then Josh might say, you know what? Amy is always sucking up to Amanda, and I'm sick and tired of it. She's always doing this. And then they're framing a debate about something, and neither has all the information, and they're both 
creating a story. Now, that's a very benign, very uh, little light example. But throw that same kind of example into your own marriage or a conversation with your adult children. And you're on the phone with uh, them or you're on the phone with your spouse and you hear a tone and you hang up and you walk away. What do you start doing? You start telling the story of the way you think that they're feeling. Let's look. I want you to take your Bibles now and I want you to turn to Jonah. When you don't, uh, uh, <coughs> sorry, Jonah 3, 10, 4, 4, I have it here, if you find that easier. So you know the story of Jonah. If you don't, basically the f brief recap, there's a guy, he's a prophet. God calls him to go and tell the people of Nineveh to repent. He's like, not going to do that. He goes off to Tarsus. He goes to Tarsus, and he hops on a boat. The boat starts getting in this crazy storm. This storm, they realize there's something going on that's spiritual here. And Jonah confesses, I think it might be me. They throw him over. He goes into a fish. He gets spit out by the fish. He's on the land. And, and then he goes and he preaches to Nineveh. And they repent. And we pick up right here. So go back to, we'll read Jonah here now. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. I guess he didn't get the message about the anger thing there. But a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you, ever, have you any right to be angry? All right. So here we are. Jonah gets angry and offended at God for doing the very thing he sent Jonah to go do. Jonah is retelling this story. And if you picked it up, you might notice that he's telling this story with his perspective perspective and not God's. And he does a few things. The first one he does is he gets angry and offended at God. The second thing he does is he actually retells the story wrong. And this is a common thing that we'll do as people. He says, isn't this what I said? Isn't this why I told you I, I didn't want to go in the first place? It's because I knew you were a compassionate God. And he puts all these, what, he's trying to build God up. And he's trying to lift, he say, you know, I know you're a good God. And that's why I didn't want to go. Now, I think if Jonah was really honest and a little introspective at that moment, there might be a couple things going on. The first of which is that Jonah probably is racist. He sees a whole bunch of Gentile people that he doesn't think deserve to be saved. And he's like, I'm not going to go tell them about the hope of Jesus because we're the people of God and they don't need this. I, what, if they, what if they actually repent? And that's the thing he's angry about. At the end, what if they actually repent? What does that mean? We're the people of God. And so he runs away and he makes it sound like he runs away because he thinks God is so great. I think he ran away because he was scared. So again, I don't think he's telling the story as honest as he is. 
Because if he was telling the story truthfully, he would say that he was actually trying to run away from hearing God again. Because there was a common view in Judaism at the time, which is that, that God spoke to the people of Israel, and particularly that God rested his spirit and, and stuff in the tabernacle or the temple. And that if he could get out of the actual physical land of Israel, he may actually be able to get away from the voice of God. But when he's telling this story, who looks like the hero of this story? What's the drama he's trying to say? He's trying to say, I know you're a good God, and so therefore I was leaving so that you don't have to smote those people because you're good and you're gracious. No, Jonah, you left because you didn't think that they deserved grace. We tell the story from our own perspective, and often we get it wrong. The number three is that Jonah lies to make himself good. He praises God for all his goodnesses and then asks to die. He may be a little bit dramatic in this moment. Maybe a bit. But if we're honest, when we get fired up about something that someone's done to us and we get angry and we start telling our own story and we start even covering up the details or the way that we've actually acted and we ignore those and we tell our story, guess what? We sometimes get a little dramatic. The most dangerous thing about all of this storytelling that goes on is that we might be telling the wrong story. Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. We can tell a story for a very long time, and we can tell a story to a lot of our friends about that person who really hurt us, but in the end, we can tell that story so much that it causes breaks and friction in our relationships with our friends. It can cause breaks and relationships with our spouse. It can cause breaks and relationship with our children. And the end, that story you keep telling yourself is the story that's actually leading to the destruction of families and friendships and even possibly being able to hear God's voice. We do this and we tell stories and we, we hold grudges, we, be, we get bitter, we let resentment build, and it leads us to a destruction. There's something that we do as humans, and, and there's an example of this actually from politics, is that we like to do a few things. Can we go to the next slide? In Bill Bishop's book, The Big Sort, he picks out on, on something is that when we think we are right, in other words, when we are telling our narrative, we tend to do these three things very often. We silence dissent. We don't allow dissent to talk to us. We grow in our extreme views. So if you think that person is evil and they're potentially hurting you on purpose, the more you go on telling that story, the more you actually genuinely believe that person is telling the story or is is the evil person you made them out to be. And third, we consume only the facts that support our views. In other words, you go to friends and they go, you know what, that person did hurt you. They don't like you. They, you know what, they do silently talk about you, I think, behind your back. And you just get those facts added and added. And how this works out in politics is this. It's really interesting. In 1976, 27% of the counties in the U.S., 
had a landslide victory for either the Democrats or the Republicans. So only 27%. Most people, it was a little bit more on par. Sorry, I'm going to bring in Donald Trump for a second. I don't normally bring him into my sermons, but for this morning, it, it, it applies. They did their research in 2016. They found that in counties across the United States, 80% gave either a landslide victory to Hillary or a landslide victory to Donald Trump. In other words, People are choosing places to live, schools to send their children, blogs to read, uh, Facebook uh, posts to consume, all affirming their point of view. And what happens in the end is that you have people who polarize themselves deeply. The more we tell our own story, the more we make sure our views are the ones, the more we silence dissent, the more we polarize ourselves and it's actually physically happening in the United States. Geographically, people are living near people that have the same views as them because we don't like dissent. Now imagine if people are willing to go to schools, move to locations, only read certain articles in order to make sure that their views are affirmed. Imagine how much we still do this in our own personal lives. We got the voices that we like, we read them a lot, we affirm them a lot, and over time, if there's someone that we are having an issue with, guess what's going to happen? Polarization, because they're different, and they see things differently as us, and the more we consume the facts that help us, the more that distinctive gets a lot wider. Stop telling stories in your own head, or at least be willing to pick them out when you start doing it and stop and say, Lord, I'm going to stop right now and I'm going to invite you into my storytelling because it says that you are the one who can discern the heart. You actually don't have the ability to discern your own motives all the time. God has that ability, so we need to invite him into that. Stop retelling your story to your friends all the time. Stop adding details you couldn't know. Stop assuming motives of other people. Stop assuming motives of yourself. Stop lying about your own righteousness and invite God into the story you're telling. Dostoevsky, in his novel, The Brothers Karamazov, I had to read this for my fourth year uh, class in Tyndale, and uh, thankfully, uh, I didn't remember most of it, but Google helped me get this quote. Um, but anyways, here it is. Above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point that he cannot distinguish the truth within himself or around him, and so loses all respect for himself and for others, and having no respect, he ceases to love. God is the God who can weigh the motives of your heart, so invite him into the conversation. He's going to help you to stop lying. My next major point for this sermon, we've had, you don't have the whole story. The second point is, Prepare to be cross-examined. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. In 1993, a, a guy by the name of Daniel Gilbert, he wanted to figure out, do we make an opinion instantaneously about information or people 
and then until we get new information, change our mind about it? Or do we get information and then form an opinion? Which order does that take? Now, if you know much about Facebook, you'll notice that people are often getting posts on their Facebook page. And there's a new thing that's happening is where people just read the, the title of the article and they don't even read the article. And they actually have begun forming opinions about very complex situations in government and politics and stuff. And they've never read the articles. They've just read a title. But in 1993, this guy devised a way of trying to test this, this, this theory. And so what they did was they had a group of people to read uh, an article about a guy who had committed a robbery. And they, what they did was, in green, they put in facts that were true. And in red writing, they put in facts that were false and very, like, severely false claims about this person. And what they did was they asked them to read it and then asked them to t give what you would say would be uh, the sentence. This group over here read the same thing, and they were allowed to privately read it without zero distractions. This group over here was allowed to read it, but they were regularly interrupted. Both had the same sheet. Both had the facts in red as being severely wrong. Both had the facts in green. And here's what they found. The group that was able to read it undistracted, they gave them an average sentence of seven years. The group who got the exact same sheet with the red words marking all the false claims, they gave an average of 11 years. In other words, there was a massive difference between the two. And this is what they say about this. This meant that only when given time to think about it did people behave as though those false statements were actually false. On the other hand, without time for reflection, people simply believed what they read. Now imagine for yourself, you're in an argument with a person and your, your mind is working and it's heated. Are you distracted by all the facts that are, are you actually listening to every single fact that's coming in or are you doing what I do, which is you're already forming your argument back to the one thing they said about a minute ago and they're just <laughs> as you are forming your argument about what to say. Are you really truly listening to that person? If you're not, the chances are you're forming opinions about what they're saying with not all the facts. And it also means that the first story you hear is the story you believe. Now, if we're honest, who's the first story we, we hear when we're in an argument with a person? It's our own. And if we're defaulting to believe our story first, the Bible in, in Proverbs says, you will believe the story first until you get cross-examined. The first voice who speaks when you're offended is your own. The first voice that speaks when you've sent an email and it's taken five days for that person to write back to you is your own. And you start telling a story and you start believing something. And I had this actually happen. I had this happen where uh, I sent, someone had some sensitive question for me about what to do in a situation. 
And what I emailed back was a, a lot of information. And I think part of it, I knew part of it could be misconstrued a little bit to think that I was a little out there on some of my views. I just wanted to mention something, and then I was going to bring it back in. And so I sent this email off, and I, I recommending what I think this person should do. And then I waited. I'm like, normally when this happens, people within a day, they go, thank you, pastor, that was so helpful. And I'm like, wonderful. <laughs> okay, I need that pat on the back, sorry. Um, but this person didn't respond, and they didn't respond. Now, I know why they didn't respond, because I had a personal crisis in my family at the time, and I should have expected that they were just being polite and not uh, replying to an email, and I shouldn't have been on my email at that time anyways, but I kept searching. They haven't, re they haven't emailed me back. They haven't emailed me back. And you know what I started to do? I started to do what probably a lot of you guys do. I started storytelling. Oh my goodness. This person thinks that I think this weird thing over here. They think I'm a heretic. Oh no. Oh no. They don't like me anymore. Oh no. Um, they're going to leave the church. Oh no. And you start going down this thing because the first story I was telling was my own. And I'd never had even stopped to go, oh, maybe they're not emailing me back because they know I'm in a family situation. They're just being polite. And when I finally got the email back about a week later, they actually said almost in the very first sentence, you know, thank you, Pastor, so much. That was very helpful. I didn't email you right away because I wanted to respect the fact that you were going through something with your family. I was like, okay, <laughs> crisis averted. So prepare to be cross-examined. If you don't, if we don't allow ourselves to be cross-examined, we will believe the first voice, which is our own, and this often will lead us toward offense. What is cross-examination? Well, in a court case, basically someone makes a testimony and the jury goes, yeah, that sounds really convincing. And then another lawyer comes up and they're like, but where were you? And they make lots of holes in their argument. And then the jury's like, oh, maybe that wasn't as good of a solid case. So what does this look like in our lives? Who cross-examines you? Do your friends have the ability to cross-examine you? When you go to a friend and you tell them about how much your, your adult child hurt you by the way of all the things they've done, does the friend you're asking or telling that story to have the ability in that moment to say, but what was your response? Do you think that your response was, was good? Or if, you, if they asked a question like that, you're like, oh, you're just taking their side. Do you actually let people cross-examine you? Do you have friends in your life that you know they can cross-examine you and they're allowed to do it? Or do you just have yes-men as friends? Do you cross-examine yourself? Do you take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? If we don't cross-examine ourselves, we may just believe the first story we hear, which is our own now I'm going to move on to something which is obviously a play on words, and maybe you saw this coming a mile away and you're waiting for it, but here it is. Be examined by the cross. If you actually want to live your life unoffended, if you want to live the kind of life that doesn't tell stories on, as the hero or the victim all the time, you have an ability as a Christian to have the cross examine you, the cross of Christ. Let's read Philippians 2 to 12, or 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort in his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit 
and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus. Next slide. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue can confess that Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you want to be cross-examined, then your attitude should be the same as that of Christ, which being equal with God, he still lowered himself. Being made himself nothing, he became a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. A painful one at that. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of the conflicts you might have even going on in your life right now require you to die first? To humble yourself. Even if you're in, a, in, in even if 2% of the problem that you have with someone is, is yours and the other 98 is theirs. If you don't move, if you don't humble yourself and own your 2%, and you stand on that 2%, then you're doing something that will potentially keep that relationship being the exact same. Because if you don't move, how do you know they ever will? And here's the story of Christ. He was exalted above all in heaven and did not consider that something to be grasped. And he lowered himself and became human and he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. I'm asking you this morning as we conclude to ask these three questions. Can you admit to yourself you don't have the full story? Second, will you allow yourself to be cross-examined? If that means taking a thought captive or having friends in your life that can actually speak hard truth to you, will you allow yourself to be cross-examined? And number three, will you allow yourself to be examined in the light of the cross of Jesus Christ? taking on his very nature, humble yourself. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, as you're teaching us about offense. You're teaching us, Lord, about the stories we tell, the way we believe, uh, things about people that we're, we're adding in details that are not really uh, maybe there. Maybe they are true, but they're not helpful. And Lord, you've asked us to be the kind of people that would humble ourselves, not to be trampled on, not to be a pushover, but to genuinely examine ourselves, see the role we've played, ask for forgiveness, and release that person so that bitterness and, 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 and contention don't rule our hearts, but humility and love and truth would guide our hearts. Lord Jesus, I ask that you help us be that kind of people. In your name we pray. Amen.